every state's choosing its own adventure for how to regulate, and there's no central marketplace. There's no software that's actually built for the sector. And I thought, man, this could really be something. Fast forward from 2015 to today, and now, you know, Weedmaps is in this fantastic position. It's really cool to see. This is The Playbook. I am so excited. I have Chris Beals. He's the CEO of Weedmaps. Talk about having a vision. You know, I, uh, Chris, I, I ran Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment in Newport Beach, the most notable sports agency. And my resume uh, looked like the other 25,000 resumes uh, to Lee, except for one thing. I really developed skills and knowledge in the technology field. And I just finished a symposium here at Tulane Law School about how to apply your skills and knowledge to the industry that you want to work in. And you are at the forefront of that, the vision that you have had to have since 2015 to understand the cannabis industry and to see the opportunities that have and do exist there. We were just talking about who and how, you know, coming to New Orleans, they have Caesars on, on, on the, you know, the, the, the arena. And when I was here, you couldn't even combine gambling and sports, let alone cannabis and sports. Both are at the forefront and they're begging for the dollars. How have you seen that evolution? And when did you realize that you were onto something as far as being a visionary and being able to get over all the resistance that existed in 2015? Yeah, I mean, it, it, look, I just have to say this, that it, it finally feels, and I'm sure I'll say this again a year from now or two years from now, but it feels like we're sort of cresting a new wave of acceptance, legitimacy, people realizing that there's a there there. You know, that is weird when for an industry that did roughly 25 billion last year in the U.S., that people are like, oh, I think there might be a, you know, something to that, um, you know, a little, little late. But uh, no, look, when I when I first came across the cannabis sector and weed maps in 2015, I just thought, wow, this is this is insane. The more I didn't know that much about cannabis in the grand scheme of things and realizing that it could have all of these ranges of clinical effects, there are you know, all these different forms of product. It was just so incredibly complicated. Every state's choosing its own adventure for how to regulate, and there's no central marketplace. There's no software that's actually built for the sector. And I thought, man, this could really be something. I mean, you could, you know, and, and it's funny because this is the, the first consumer good that's arisen in the post-internet era, you know, imagine what would happen if grocery stores started tomorrow, how much, how different the grocery store experience would be. And so yeah, I think in my case, I think it's interesting. I, mean, I had a traditional law background and that sort of thing. And I, I think I always, uh, my parents were both kind of founders and entrepreneurs. And I think I always had that interest in well, what's something new, what's something different, how can I think about things differently? And, um, you know, whether it, whether it be that I was spot on with seeing it or it's better to be lucky than smart, uh, you know, I think fast forward from 2015 to today, and now, you know, Weedmaps is in this fantastic position. It's really cool to see. It's so interesting because especially with a law degree from a prestigious Ivy League school like you went to, uh, there's a lot of also judgment and conditions when we get into uh, different areas that are non-traditional, especially in the legal space. I started my career, uh, Chris, in Westlaw. So, you know, I actually got to present Westlaw to Justice Scalia in the Supreme Court. And Justice Scalia, I will quote, told me, nobody can ever do research on the internet. You need books. Um, and if I thought I received in 1992 resistance to the internet, I can't imagine uh, the resistance from the people closest to you that care the most about you uh, that were probably worried about a gray 
a gray market that existed when you started. It wasn't a black market, but it was definitely a gray market uh, in the nuances. But yet you have an extremely broad uh, experience like mine, operations, law, technology, SaaS. Uh, the only one missing from mine, I'm just an investor in the cannabis fund. Uh, I actually didn't make it my profession. What was the one thing with all the judgments and conditions placed upon you as a lawyer that maybe concerned you before that doesn't concern you today? You know, it's it's funny. Uh, it seems strange to say now, but I remember in 2015, um, you know, I mean, the, the, the federal overhang, the federal illegality was so great that I had, you know, family members, uh, you know, other folks basically say, well, why won't they just come stomp out this California thing? It, people typically associate with California. I'm, I'm an East Coaster, and they look at California, even though at the time Washington, Colorado had systems, they'd be like, how do you know the federal government won't come in and just stomp this out? And basically, you're going to be hauled off to prison because you're, you know, running this the 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 biggest and most visible technology face, you know, that for, for cannabis. And, and it's funny, I, you know, I didn't. It didn't. I think I was so I think I was so sort of wed to the vision. I had such a singular view that like this could really grow and go somewhere. And it seemed so strange to me that like, you just couldn't put the genie back in the bottle. I felt that I just went with it. But yeah, fast forward to the day, nobody asked me that anymore. It's more when will federal legalization come? That's how it's stated. But when I first looked at the sector and thought it was thinking about coming across, people the, probably the, the one of the most common questions I got was like, how long do you think you're going to spend in jail? <laughs> it's a pretty profound thing to have someone ask you uh, when you're thinking about a career move. Uh, but you know, there, there, there was a, and there was an entrepreneur I met pretty early on who had a, a cannabis dispensary in South LA, where they feds had come, best, busted the dispensary in the '90s. It was in Prop 215 era. And they basically said, "Listen, either you can plead and take the case, or your wife's going to go to jail because we have your wife on the security footage working in the store at the time." Ended up pleading in, I think, somewhere between 10 and 15 years, sir, for running a Prop 215 cannabis dispensary in South LA. You know, and you, you meet people like that after you come into the industry. And my, I thought, huh, like maybe I should have given more credence to the when are you going to jail question. <laughs> it's amazing. But yet, you know, now uh, the legitimacy that has occurred in almost $200 million in revenue in 2021 going public, uh, there's a lot of uh, credibility. Um, but yet there's still another aspect, which I find fascinating. And this has happened in sports where I'm more in the entertainment space than the sports law space. Uh, and especially with weed and, and weed maps, content is king. And you guys, you know, are leading the way again in launching at 420, which, you know, pretty much used to, I grew up in San Diego. So my wife is a stoner. If people don't know what that means, go look it up. Uh, but I married a stoner because I figured, it, half the time, I probably look a lot better than I actually do to her. But, you know, 420 was always the San Diego stoner holiday. And yet now <laughs> we brought legitimacy to 420. Um, and you have an unbelievable docuseries coming out uh, on 420. Um, how'd that come about? And how important is entertainment intertwined now with what you're doing? Yeah. So, yeah. So on, on 420, we're, we're premiering uh, a docuseries with, with uh, Killer Mike. Uh, just, you know, fantastic musical artist, uh, you know, both individually and with Run the Jewels, but um, he's been a big proponent of decriminalization, uh, 
drug legalization, record expungement, opportunity for people of color in the legal cannabis industry once it opens up. So he's he's really been a voice on the advocacy and on the, the cannabis education side. So we have him going around with this uh, Tumbleweeds docu-series, um, going around to different cities and a little bit comedic, but a little bit serious, but learning a bit about the cannabis scene there. So that's dropping on 420. It's premiering on Vice TV. We work with uh, Wheelhouse, which is Jimmy Kimmel's uh, agency on making that. So incredibly exciting. Um, I really couldn't be more excited for that coming. But you know, I think the tough thing about content and cannabis, though, is you have to be authentic. I think because the industry, because people who are you know stoners, cannabis consumers for so long, um, you know, there's been, I think cannabis has been cast in such a pejorative light where there's been so many people kind of throwing out these like sort of stereotypes that often aren't true, that there's a deep sensitivity to the cannabis community, both on the business and the consumer side. So there, you can be funny, but it has to be something we laugh along with, not something that we're being laughed at and that you're, you're giving uh, um, legitimacy to the origin, to the history, to the, you know, all the people who work so hard on this. And I think that's always been one of our strengths is, yeah, we make great technology, great content. We do the marketplace, but it's that um, we can strike the right voice and tone that, that, that you get from having been in the industry for you know, more than a decade. Yeah, I don't think you can pick a better person than Mike, uh, who I've been blessed to be around for a lot of years as his brand has evolved. But you know, as an intellect uh, and as a thoughtful leader, he certainly you know, brings a, a lot of free free spirit to a lot of depth in what he talks about in, in what he's read and learned himself. Now, uh, strategically going public, you know, I was always interested in, you know, how that aspect really affected or impacted this still pre-chasm uh, when it comes to the federal government, you know, how it affected that type of decision where the benefits of going public over staying kind of a little bit less below the radar and a little bit less regulated. Well, you know, I think, look, first of all, the one, you know, we're, we're now publicly listed on NASDAQ under the ticker MAPS. And, and I just want to say that that would not be possible if we were a touch the plan company, but we're pure technology. We deal in bits and bytes, ones and zeros. And that's the only thing that enables us to do it, along with the fact that, that you know, we've been incredibly, I think, um, formal about making sure we're right and tight on compliance and that the way we operate and proceed is sort of best in class. That's what enabled it. But in terms of making the move and doing it, I think that one, being a cannabis company publicly listed on NASDAQ is just a different echelon, a different tier of, of um, I think, legitimacy and reach and that sort of thing. And yeah, we did think hard about what that looked like, um, you know, kind of being the first among many in terms of having our name out there and that sort of thing. And would it put a target on our back? And ultimately, we got comfortable with the fact that what we're doing is ultimately making consumers safer. It's making the market more transparent. And frankly, it's making it easier for states that do want to legalize and get functioning legal markets open to have a functioning legal market and tamp down their illicit market, tamp down sort of the unwanted aspects of that illicit market. We are the facilitator of that with this sort of Amazon for cannabis that we run with the educational materials. And so um, it, you know, I'd say this, if, if you're going to go public, you want to have a story that you're proud to tell and that you're willing for people to talk about where you may not be able to control the narrative. Ultimately, we felt really comfortable about that and where we were, given that we're a 13-year-old company and we've really built what I think is a best-in-class management team. And so we made the jump. I think um, I've been pleasantly surprised, I think, by 
um, you know, how, how smoothly we've handled the transition. And I think that's, that's what you look for. I mean, going public is a big event and it's not the finish line. It's just a milestone on a company's growth curve. And as a technology company, obviously the capabilities of your company with Web3, meaning I look at the capabilities, the value, what I like in WeMaps is, you know, there always needs to be a leader in the market, the market makers and the margins. And you were talking about legitimizing and also cleaning up uh, through technology in industry that had some uh, holes and in, in loopholes in it. And now through the consistent credibility, sustainability of your platform, it really is applicable to Web3.0 exponentially giving it more power. How do you see uh, this evolving with Web3.0 in new markets and what capabilities do you see of the Web3.0 world that applies to what you're doing? Well, actually, one thing that's interesting that you mentioned Web3.0 is because is, I'm taking a step back, there's something I've been thinking a lot about in my role as a leader and in general, which is, I think, I think uh, in the tech community and sort of, I think the investment community at large, I think that um, novel thinking and non-referential thinking. So being able to say, look, I'm gonna take my framework, I'm just gonna think about this business opportunity, this new product line, whatever, as it stands on its merit on its own without sort of slavishly referring to, well, it's the this company of that, or it's this, that product of that. I think strangely since since the in the in the two, early 2000s, kind of like the real boom of, of, of the new internet era, I think has frankly been on the wane. And I think what I've experienced and seen on cannabis, what I've seen with Web3 and that, is that there are a lot of people who have a really hard time um, looking at new businesses, new product lines that don't have strong origin roots in other businesses or product lines that already exist and being able to evaluate them properly. Um, and, I, and, and the funny thing is, I think a lot about that with Web3, uh, where I think a lot of folks are saying, well, the traditional banking or finance institutions or that sort of thing are, are going to control this. And they're only just slavishly applying the old paradigms going forward. Um, I, I think as it relates to us, I think there's a couple aspects of, of Web3 that, that you know, have, have merit. I think in the, in the realm of payments, financing and escrow services, I think there's some of the stuff that's happening in the wave of Web3 that are getting away from sort of traditional constructs of like escrow, I'm physically holding the goods and that sort of thing, and moving to sort of like digitalized, digitalized safe space for holding funds. That's critical when you have a um, you know, supply chain like cannabis, which is a perishable farm good where you often want to inspect the products before you decide whether you're going to purchase them, where the lab testing and the lab testing on sub batches matters. So it's very hard to sort of buy in advance and know. And where you'd like to do something where you're getting away from hard currency, duffel bags of cash, which with the way the federal banking rules work is, is a little bit difficult. I think the other thing is, is just the idea of, and this isn't a pure Web3 concept, but the idea of what tokenization and authentication of products. Um, counterfeiting is a big issue in cannabis. And I think some of the ideas and concepts we saw around sort of anti-counterfeiting in the sneakerhead scene using sort of non-fungible tokens and things like that, looking at either genetics and strain lineages on the cannabis side, or specifically looking at products and saying, how do we have a, a, a track record or a sort of a, I'm trying to avoid saying blockchain, but basically a, a non, um, uh, I, I guess, basically a non-tweakable record of 
of where these products came from, where they're intended, and are they legit, and are, are they real? And then that's leaving aside, I think, the obvious piece, which is, well, if banks are unwilling to take money, can you move to sort of, um, you know, cryptocurrency type things? And there, while I think applicable, I think the bigger issue is, and the blocker is, are you staying, are you staying um, on the right side of uh, KYC, you know, your customer type laws of, um, you know, fair disclosure and making sure that you're not sort of obscuring in a felonious way the sources or intended use of the funds and that sort of thing. As long as you check those boxes, I think there's a lot of really interesting applications on um, using crypto in the cannabis space. But there's other things beyond that around authenticity, uh, validation, verification, source source of goods, that sort of thing. And the last thing is no matter what business industry job career we're in, it always seems to come back to something that a lot of people will forget about, which is the customer. And I can't think of a business that is more customer centric than yours. And I always say the best companies out there deliver value, deliver it well, and can deliver it to the masses. Uh, for you, how best can you serve moving forward uh, your clients that value and serve them well and serve them to the masses? Because I still believe with pre-chasm, as big as the numbers are, uh, this is not going to go anywhere but up. Yeah, I, look, I would start with this. One thing I philosophically believe for myself and for the team on down, I think one of the core elements that was critical to my success is I got my Sprinter van with salespeople and went on the road to see how cannabis businesses were operating, to see how consumers purchased. And I think anyone in a leadership position who's not getting on the road and physically observing consumers and businesses interacting. If you're in a business like ours, where we're providing software to businesses, software to consumers, a marketplace, that sort of thing, then ultimately you're relying on somebody else to dictate sort of the horizon line for your business. The other, the other thing I would say is, is that, you know, we have an interesting thing in the cannabis side, which is you have this kind of barbell effect. You've got long-term cannabis consumers who really understand cannabis, but they don't understand all these brands and form factors because those came along later. And you have these brand new consumers who maybe, strangely enough, might be familiar with some of the form factors a little more, but don't know anything about the breadth of cannabis effects. And so our struggle is an interesting one because you have to both be good for both those cohorts of consumers and all the ones in between. And I think that's a really critical piece. And so I think for us, when it comes to sort of saying consumer focused or sort of uh, business focused, it's making sure that we uh, get out, that we understand what they're doing in practice, not sort of in a, in a uh, test tube. And then the other thing is, is making sure that we're not sort of uh, biasing towards one group versus another group. We have to be egalitarian in terms of how we think about servicing different types of consumers in the marketplace. And just because that high frequency long-term consumer buys more in a month, we're going to be a losing business proposition if we aren't sort of... Uh, servicing those newbie consumers because those are the next generation of sort of more regular cannabis consumers. Just the fact we're having such a high level intellectual conversation about this industry and with someone as credible as you truly excites me. And I think back years ago, walking the boardwalk where my beach house is in South Mission Beach uh, with investment bankers now sitting in my office talking about these deals. Uh, anything can change and uh, there is a way to deliver and uh, that value. And I want everyone to check out upcoming 420 Weed Maps docuseries, Tumbleweeds on Vice TV. I want to thank Chris Beals, a true entrepreneur, a visionary, 
and I only wish you the greatest of success, which you've already had, but I can't wait to see what you have coming up next. Incredible. Thank you so much.